What is up, everybody? This is the Tailgaters Podcast after a solemn national championship. I am your host, Kevin Borba. Joining me, as always, is the lovely Sergio de Estrella. And today, we have a special guest, CBS Sports, Shehan Raja. Shehan, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thank you for joining us. Um, there's a lot to talk about, despite the lack of storylines coming from our national championship. If you didn't see it, Georgia beat the brakes off of TCU by a final score of, let me check my notes, 62. And TCU score is still loading, 65, excuse me, to seven. Um, TCU only scored one time, and me and Sergio were actually texting about it. We, we timed their cause of death at 5.02 or 8.02 P, um, Eastern time when they fumbled in that first quarter. Uh, we kind of got the vibe that it was over from there. Um, Sergio, any thoughts before we dive into everything? Because we have a lot of things to dive into. I think the exact time I'm trying to look here through our. Um, I had five oh two eight oh two yep eight oh two. That's exactly when I saw it. <laughs> Just the, double check in there. The game started um, four forty five or something four forty or eight forty five whatever. Enough enough of your West Coast. It's propaganda the, borba the best time zone enough, it, i don't enough of this man it, it's to... not man it's not it's not i, I don't want to be watching college football while like i don't want to set an alarm to wake up to watch college football the, yes I, that's I, the I, best i, way I don't want to eat eat breakfast drink my coffee while i'm trying to watch iowa versus minnesota man like now i, I want to I, I will say <laughs> i will say Shahan. Wanna, and did, he, did borba say your last name properly shahan yes, because he he's Jay okay Raja, that's correct all yeah. right that that's very good i'm very proud of borba for getting at least one person's last name correct on this podcast today so happy about that borba make sure you roll your l's next time um <laughs> no but in all in all seriousness um this was a textbook oh the game is over once it starts it reminded me a lot of um i want to say it was 2017 i think it's 2017 because i have a very fond memory because it's the last time the dolphins made the playoffs um and it was the night of the ACC championship game where Miami kind of went on that run with Mark Richt. They like destroyed Notre Dame in prime time. Um, I'm from South Florida, Shahan. So like Miami's kind of like always on the radar over here, even though I'm a Gators fan. Miami's always on the radar down here in South Florida. And I remember there being so much hype for this conference championship game against Clemson. And the first play of the game was Christian Wilkinson, actually, who's now a Dolphin blowing up the Miami offensive line and getting a sack on the first play of the game. And I looked at my stepdad and went, oh, this game's over. And I felt very much the exact same way on Monday night when I watched this TCU game where I the way that Georgia was methodically, they didn't just like, it wasn't like big play after big play. They, they were like Dexter. They were just text tearing TCU apart. It was just, it, it was a prime example of, oh, that's what happens when you have multiple first-rounders on both sides of the ball. Really, that's really what it was. It's, it was like a showcase of of Georgia's recruiting juggernaut and what they've become under Kirby Smart. 100%. And, and you saw early in that game, like on the first and second drive, you saw what the pathway could be for TCU, but you also saw, oh, everything has to go right. It's like every little pass needs to be on point. There was a, I, I believe it was the second drive of the game. They were facing, I think like third and six and TCU had a receiver kind of break a route and go downfield. And, and you saw it and you're like, Oh, okay, well, here's the moment. Max Duggan misses him, right? You can't miss those throws when you're playing against Georgia. And you know, one thing, uh, because 
we we do talk so much obviously about the the talent accumulation uh and, and for good reason that's the reason why they're the the number one program in college football right now but the other part of it too was uh, i remember there was a quote after the game from max duggan and he said they would show me a look defensively in in coverage that i had seen on film and so i knew what to expect and i was going to go after it and then right as the snap came they'd completely switch up the coverage and i would just be looking out there like what is going on right and and i think that you saw those moments you know the the biggest key for me in this game in a lot of ways was max duggan had to be decisive and he had to know what he wanted to do when he snapped the ball and the first again first couple plays of the game you see him holding the ball and and you're just like oh dear this yeah. this is this is not going to be very good and, and there were similarities from the michigan game too early in that michigan game max duggan kind of missed on some opportunities at the, in the first half and it was one of those oh is that going to come back to bite them they just right. managed to hit on them in the second half this, this game was so out of reach by halftime that even if they did i think they had that one play in the second second quarter i think think that was was, like yeah i think duggan underthrew him and if he would have hit him in stride it would have been a it would have been like an 80 yard touchdown or something and right at that point we're looking at maybe like 24 to 14 and it's like okay at least this is it's not a blowout but it's manageable at least you know it reminded me of the that orange bowl where oklahoma was down like 28 to nothing to alabama and then they came back and they always kept it within two scores but it was always essentially done this was very similar in that way where you could see TCU have moments of like, oh, there can be something there, but they were so the game was so out of reach that by the time we got to halfway through the third quarter, it was basically a uh, Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler were just sitting in the convers in the booth having high level playoff conversations, you know. Yeah, I think Kirk Herbstreit and Chris were bored out of their minds. I think they made that blatantly <laughs> obvious. <laughs> I I oh, did. Yeah. In the first quarter, though, I like a Thursday night football game. Yeah, I started a oh. <laughs> little shot game where I was like, take a shot every time Kirk says sugar huddle and refers to Stetson Bennett as sneaky athletic. Um, if you watch any Georgia games, we know Stetson Bennett has got some. He's not the fastest, but he he could scoop. And then the, I, I do appreciate Stetson Bennett bringing back the sneaky athleticness. Very, <laughs> very happy that we can have. By, a code by the for... way, though, by the way, he is a four six athlete. Like he is not a like he is a legitimately no, no, pretty they, fast they say football sneaky player. Athletic because I know a hundred percent. But I'm, I'm just saying, like he is actually pretty fast. Now, oh, yeah, obviously, it does help when your offensive line completely confuses their defensive line and leaves them all on the field side of the field while Stetson Bennett runs into the boundary that that helps I'm not going to sit here and lie to you but uh, but Stetson Bennett uh, you know obviously (laughs) quite an athletic player Uh, you know not to look too far ahead into next year that is something I'm very curious to see what uh, Georgia does at quarterback because Carson Beck is a pocket passer if he ends up being the guy Brock Vandergriff is a little bit more of a dual threat uh, type player but it's going to be a very different looking Georgia offense one way or another next year and and I think that you can actually uh one of the biggest signs of that is Georgia has added two receivers from the transfer portal I think that they are expecting to play more of a traditional drawback passing game next year and, and I'm curious how it works yeah yeah I think we, you guys both kind of touch on already how good Georgia is and how mismatched TCU Max Duggan in particular I think it just goes to show like CJ Stroud had success against Georgia and CJ Stroud is probably a top 10 NFL pick. So what it takes to be good against Georgia, um, being an NFL caliber quarterback with probably the best college football receiver 
in this past five years helps. And they still didn't win. It came down to a kicker, which hate to see, hate to see for the kicker. But I think we saw that Max Duggan is good enough. But then when challenged with a really elite defense, it doesn't work out for him. And me and Sergio talked about this on our pre-Natty episode was TCU can't fall behind, which is their whole entire game is like they play this. They play this. How long can we hold our breath game where it's like, okay, we're down two touchdowns time to turn it up. And there was no turning it up. It was like you flick the switch and there was no power to turn on. So well, they, they always had a spare oxygen tank. And then in this game, they realized they forgot to pack it. They brought heat. <laughs> <in them>. um, <laughs> That's what happened. No, and, and I think that heading into the game, one of the things that I was concerned about was, you know, you saw CJ Stroud, like you mentioned, the way that he was able to to dice up Georgia was true drop back deep passing game, right? And and that is not Max Duggan's game. He he has to, I, I mean, it's it's not a, obviously an exact comparison, but it's almost more Tebow-ish, right? Like where it's really about using all of the tools that you have to create opportunities. And once early in the game, you saw that Max was like, I have to stand back here for three and a half seconds and throw down the field. It was to me, that was just an admission by Max Duggan. I, you know, again, you don't know what play calls are coming in. You don't know what they're asking him to do. But but when that started happening, that to me was an admission from Max Duggan that I, I can't play my game, essentially. Which that honestly, going back to the beginning of the season, that might have been why Max Duggan didn't get the starting job right out of the gate. Uh, Chandler Morris is viewed as more of a better gunslinger and pocket passer than Duggan. And even which I had to take this back because I, I used to cover Texas and I would always call Max Duggan a poor man, Sam Ellinger. And he like kind of surpassed that mark this year where it was like he was like borderline, like one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And so I was like, OK, I'll dial that back. But then this is the Max Duggan we all knew and loved when we made fun of Um, final question about this this area of the episode, how good is Georgia this year? Um, we saw them destroy Oregon. Um, we kind of, we kind of shat on Oregon for until they were relevant. Um, we were like, Oh, typical Bo Nix doesn't know how to play. Um, how good was this Georgia team? And is this a dynasty in the making? I don't want to call it a dynasty yet. It basically is a dynasty, but I don't want to do it yet. I think we do I mean, need to acknowledge they're the first team to go back to back since Alabama in I think twelve thirteen. So yeah, it is something. Yeah, it is eleven twelve. Yeah, eleven twelve. So, it is so, so no, I mean, look, I, I I get the you know the hesitance to start using the word dynasty, but look at all the programs since we've had national championship games that have gone back to back. Right, mm-hmm. it's eleven twelve Alabama. It's o three o four USC. It's uh, I believe it's ninety six ninety seven uh, Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. So like you're th- that's what you're looking at. That that's the bar for yeah. for going back to back. And so I mean, it's really hard to sustain success in college football because you have a situation like with Georgia where you lose five first round picks off your defense and you have to find ways to replace them. It's really hard. And so I, I think that you know when you ask how good is this Georgia team to me. This Georgia team, I would consider to be slightly lesser to last year's team. I think that last year had an all-time elite defensive unit. They were absolutely all-time elite at one thing. This Georgia team was a lot more balanced, but I don't necessarily think that they had that unstoppable one thing, right? Now, obviously, when you get into certain matchups, like against Oregon, like against TCU, 
I mean, the, the nice thing about this Georgia team versus last year's team is I think they had more of an ability to to blow out teams because their offense was so much more efficient than it was in 2021. But, you know, it, it's like it's a difference between final score and like game control. Right. I think that Georgia dominated its games more in 2021, even if the final scores in 2022 were a little bit different. Now, look, I, I think that. Part of this is that when you look at 2022, and and I wanted to be clear, this is not a shot at anybody. It's not a shot at Georgia's power or anything. I, I think that 2022 top to bottom was a lesser year in college football uh, in terms of like the level of ability and talent and teams that maybe we've seen in a little bit. But I think that that's also a testament to the fact that Georgia, through all of the factors that are influencing college football right now, managed to maintain and manage to keep going and manage to be on track. And so I, I do think that Georgia obviously is a very, very deserving national champion. They are, they were the best team in the country. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they've been the best, the best program in college football over the last two years by a good margin. And I, I actually, you know, one, one statement that I've used a little bit before is last year, Georgia was at the top of their defensive development cycle where they had a couple of upperclassmen, where they had a lot of juniors, this defense was young as hell. This was such a young defense. You know, you have players like Malachi Starks who led the team in snaps defensively, who's a true freshman, right? Like you have freshmen and sophomores dominating this team. And so I think it's actually very scary that Georgia was this good this year because they're probably going to be even better next year. Yeah, I I, I echo that sentiment. <laughs> um, th- that's That was my biggest takeaway when you looked at the season as a whole. I agree with you. I think last year's defense, the 2021 defense was... That that was that might be one of the best defenses we've seen this century. Like that was yep. up there, man. That's a that's an incredible this, defense. This year ranked top ten. So imagine being a top ten defense and you're just not as good as the one before you. <laughs> so 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 that's the that, that's the that's the curse, right? It's the blessing and the curse. That's the curse side of being Georgia, where you're only going to be compared to other versions of yourself. And when you stack up arguably the best defensive unit since the year two thousand. Yeah, obviously it's going to be. Oh, it's going to be a little bit soured upon in terms of when you're comparing with that defense. But just like you said, Jahan, this defense is really young, and that's more my big my bigger takeaway. With okay, I look at the personnel units on the defensive side of the ball; they're really young. Um, the only real position that they have to quote unquote replace on both sides of the ball is quarterback. Everyone else, for the most part, you know, there's a couple you know, seniors here and there leaving or whatever, and people obviously going to enter the portal and such and such to get more playing time. But for the most part, quarterback is that only question mark. And they got two five stars <laughs> sitting, sitting in that room that sat there and learned all season long. And I'm sure they're, you know, I haven't looked at the recruiting class in terms of quarterback. I'm a little preoccupied with my own team's quarterback re- recruiting situation right now. So forgive There's me. There's a lot if, happening if, right now. Forgive There's me a lot if, if the Rashada saga is taking up too much of my recruiting brain, but um, you know, they're going to have talent come in. And we've seen Kirby be that kind of coach. I think what we take away from Georgia is, I don't want to say they're a dynasty currently because a dynasty is a dynasty is the USC teams that didn't lose for close to three seasons. A dynasty is um, the, the Alabama teams from like 08 to like 2013, where they won, I think it was like three or four national titles in like a five-year span. That's a dynasty, complete domination. I also want to point out, We've never seen Georgia beat Alabama at full strength. I just want to point that out there. So before we crown them the like current kings of college football, 
I, I, I would like to see Georgia play an Alabama team that has no excuses, um, that doesn't have Jamison Williams tearing his ACL in the middle of a game, that doesn't have depleted um, quarterbacks or, you know what I mean, different players. I, I would like to see that happen. But I do believe that my takeaway is that Georgia is ahead of schedule at, in terms of establishing themselves as the preeminent program in college football. Um, because until, until the man in Tuscaloosa decides he's going to hang his hat on there, um, it, it looks like he's been the only coach that can truly penetrate that Saban wall that especially in the sec being in the same conference we look at ohio state when they won their national championship uh, we look at clemson when they won their national titles and their battles with alabama of course but within the same conference that's another story that's a whole nother level of dominance that's a whole nother level of taking over quote unquote um and i think georgia is on their way to becoming that if not next season the year after at the latest especially with how young that defense is especially with the way that kirby has shown that he's really not stopping, you know? And as someone yeah. who went to the state university of Florida, that's concerning. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but, and but will... as an, as an unbiased analyst yes. though, it is yes. nice to, it, it's beautiful to see someone create a program that well and maintain it for so long and, and have this path forward that there's, you don't really see an end to, you know? Yeah, it could be worse. It could be Auburn and Alabama and Georgia could be your every year rivals. But... That's true. We actually could be Auburn. I could, <laughs> could also hire, have hired Hugh Freeze, so that could be Auburn. There's, there's a lot right. of ways it could have been worse. No, I, I will true. say, uh, so we have not had a team go back to back to back in the poll era. I was going to say before, in, in like the 30s. The poll era yeah, is 36, so, so I believe. The poll era is 1936. Can you guys name? the the last team to go back to back to back it was 1934 and it ended with the first ap poll in 1936 probably yale or navy or one of those like random. my i i just i want to go service academy like i'm yeah, gonna yeah, go navy as well it's a good guess and and by the way i will mention that i believe army had like a non-consensus uh title in 1946 like one of those retro and so yeah. if they had gotten that that would have been but they didn't win the AP slash consensus title, right? Mm -hmm. So the last time that the the main group that the NCAA recognizes gave three straight titles to one team, it was Minnesota from 1934 to 1936 of all teams. So needless to say, college football just a little bit since then. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I think um, you guys were both kind of talking about Georgia's like dominance has been all organic outside of JT Daniels. And I think, um, they took a Clemson transfer at DB last year or the year before. I think it was last year. And they've all they've all built this roster, which is really cool to see. We're going to see how good their quarterback development is. And that could be like the one thing that holds them back. And I think that's why they're bringing in a rah-rah Thomas and the the, the Lovett kid from Missouri. It's like, we are giving you the weapons to succeed. All you have to do is give them the ball. And so I think um, it's really interesting to see that they went from we're going to be good at everything and it's going to work out to like, we're really going to like need you to step up here. And I think also this might be, and you guys could hate me for saying this, this might be one of the luckiest dynasties ever. Setson Bennett could have gone to middle Tennessee state had he chosen and he could have chosen to not bounce back to Georgia, but he was infatuated with Georgia and he's JT Daniels got injured. Stetson Bennett comes in. Like everybody's talking about how it's a story of perseverance. I think it's a story of luck that Stetson Bennett wanted to be a bulldog so bad. I hold on. Let's let's take this into perspective, right? In the Kirby Smart era, 
at the beginning of the Kirby Smart era, Kirby Smart's quarterback room was Justin Fields, Jacob Eason, and Jake Fromm. And mm-hmm. he chose the worst of the three of those quarterbacks and still managed to I don't make know. Jacob Eason ended up not being very good. But, that's true. but... I, I will say, you know what? <laughs> Yeah, it, that, that's the that's the Washington that's the closeted Washington fan in me. So I will. I, I don't know. I, I think the closeted Washington fan should also understand that Jake Beasley was not very good. That's true. That's true. Uh, yes, I, he, I think he's no Jake Browning. He's no Jake Browning. He's no Jake but, Browning. But I will say, I will say, before he got hurt at Georgia, yeah, he it, it was looking good. If he doesn't get hurt, it's crazy Former to see what star. it would be. No, but he lets player. Justin Fields go. He has managed. I personally, when JT Daniels came in. Before we knew of his injury extent, I was like, okay, yeah, he's the immediate starter. Like, oh, what's he? He's going to compete with Stetson Bennett. Okay. All right, cool. And then Bennett just ends up becoming this quarterback. It's, it's, it's kind of frustrating in a way because imagine how many other of these types of players are this good, have this kind of drive, but just aren't given the amount of time that he's given. And I know the jokes of Stetson Bennett's. Stetson Bennett is twenty. <laughs> Stetson Bennett is younger than uh, Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow's been in the league four years or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen. I think it is what yeah. it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like he's an old guy. I get it. Um, but there's still some kind of beauty in you know these organic college football stories where he's able to get that opportunity. He does go back to Georgia. He does end up just following his dream and being like, okay, I'm sure that man was planning on selling insurance or whatever it is that he wanted to do. And now he is, can you argue the second most important person, maybe the most important player in Georgia history behind or tied with um, noted Republican Senator candidate Herschel Walker. Yeah. I I can't wait for, uh, for 2044 when, uh, when we get to see uh, Senator Stetson Bennett, it's going to be great. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, Maybe he too will lose a runoff. I don't know. Um, yeah, is, that, is that luck? Like, does Kirby Smart have a quarterback issue that Stetson Bennett masked? Because he picked Dwan Mathis. He picked, I mean, JT Daniels was a decent pick at the time, but the injury history was there. Like, he had injury issues at USC that led to the Keaton Slovis era that was brief but also glorious. What do you think? So I think I, I think that when we look at that situation, I wouldn't say that he had a quarterback issue, but what I will say is that I think that any questions around it were fixed when he hired Todd Monken. Todd Monken, I think, has maybe been the most important, arguably coordinator hire of the college football playoff era. Like, agreed. The, the, the comparison agreed. is probably, I mean, Brent Venables at Clemson, who was actually hired before the playoff. You know, I mean, like these are the levels, right, that we're talking about. He's transformed that room. The, the funny thing about it was when I looked at that 2021 Georgia team. Uh, versus the 2022 Georgia team. It's so obvious the way that the 2022 offense was built for Stetson Bennett. It was built around his skills. It was built around his skill set. It was based around his limitations as well. And and I think that you saw, you know, so much of uh, of what Georgia did was built around that intermediate passing game in the middle of the field, which Stetson Bennett is legitimately good at, right? Like that's a legitimate strength of his relative to other college quarterbacks. Uh, obviously, they leaned on his running game and, and they took out some of the super deep shots that that Stetson Bennett struggles with. So I think that a huge part of this is that Todd Monken has done a tremendous job of, of building a team and an offense and, and a, a sort of a structure that matches what Georgia wants to do. And so 
you know, look, obviously we're going to look back at at the Jake Fromm, Justin Field situation, and that's always going to be a little bit of a running joke. But, you know, I think that uh, I, I think that it's so much bigger than whoever they had starting at quarterback. I think that it, it's a total revamp of what they did offensively. That's really changed everything. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Shahan. And I also think that you can kind of compare it in terms of significant coordinator hires. I think it might be the most important hire since both both Lane Kiffin hires. Yeah. Lane Kiffin at Alabama in 16 or whenever it was in that time, where he revamped their entire offense. And Lane Kiffin at USC. He's he was the coordinator for those Reggie Bush, Matt Liner USC teams that he really was able to take and elevate that offense to another level. Um, I, I don't think it's I, I don't think you can win back to back national championships with a quarterback and then say it was luck. I, I, I like refuse to believe that he's going to have luck. Um, I think Smart got a little lucky that Stetson wanted to be there so bad because uh, I mean, you heard it 75,000 times during the broadcast that they told Stetson he wasn't good enough. So in the era of transfer portal ness and college football, where we're at, most kids would be like, okay, so I'm not good enough. I'm out. Like, well, I think I, not, get, I hear that the team wasn't lucky. They obviously are an NFL team in the college uniforms, but they're lucky that Stetson Bennett wanted to be there so bad is what I'm saying. They are, but I also think we need to give, I cannot believe I'm praising Georgia so much. I hate doing this. My stomach hurts. Uh, <laughs> we also need to give Kirby smart credit in understanding the fabric of being the head football coach at the university of Georgia. When you have a kid like Stetson Bennett, who grew up, a, grew up a dogs fan from the state grassroots goes away, wants to come back is told he's not good enough. You put him in the if 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 it doesn't hurt you, it doesn't hurt him to have brought him in and said, "All right, we'll just give this kid a chance. If it doesn't work out, he can GA and maybe he has a coaching career and he can tell everyone how he lived his dream of being a Georgia football player." He understands the fabric of that state, of that community, um and it comes from being a former player at Georgia. Um he has that ingrained in him. He he can he can give I don't you've heard the speech that he the audio of the speech he gave before the game that had me wanting to run through a brick wall and I hate Georgia with every fiber of my fandom like it, I was ready to play for him like how can you deny how can you say that it's he, yes technically there's an aspect of luck because he chose him but I think there's also a level of um, shrewdness I think there's a level of intellect and understanding of your situation to say, all right, we'll give this kid a chance. You know what I mean? And bring him in because of because of that extra stuff, you know? It, it, Florida fans loved Anthony Richardson, not just because he's a dynamic player and has a great potential and high ceiling, but the kid went to Eastside. He's from down the road in Gainesville. He's a Gainesville native. He's an ACR. Like, the kid had War 15 because he grew up watching Tebow at the Swamp. You know, there's those layers to those stories that kind of create these mythical f- creatures, these mythical figures in college football that I think Kirby smart in all of his genius, not just in X's and O's understood that the chance that he could take on this guy, the reward was far higher than the risk that he was going to be able to take. So I think we need to give him credit on seeing at, at least, you know, understanding that and giving, keeping that um, within the forefront of his mind when making these decisions to bring someone in and give a Stetson Bennett or, you know, any other player, in that situation, a chance on the yeah, spot, you know, that's fair. and now, now Stetson Bennett's going to be balling up for some XFL team, probably the Orlando guardians. Cause they're the closest one in proximity. Um, Shayhan, I was he actually- is going to sell so many BMWs in about 15 years. He's going to be the good best, for him. 
he's going to be the best court appointed lawyer in the game. Um, Shayhan, mm-hmm. I was listening to your most, most recent podcast episode and something your co-host said sparked an interest. And I wanted to get your thoughts. He was comparing Stetson Bennett in terms of where he ranks all time to the Tim Tebow's of the world to the Vince Young's. Now you were hesitant to hop on that bandwagon, which I appreciate because I feel like I feel like we kind of got to this point where we always have to rank people above people. Like Stetson Bennett can go down as a very good college quarterback and still not be one of the best. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on where Stetson Bennett, like where does he go in the college football history book? Is he even in the book? Sure. So I, I think that a couple of things. One I think that we have such an obsession with rings culture at times that we like to define players by the results of what their team does, right? Like we praise, we give individuals credit for team right. accomplishments all the time. Absolutely. And it's like, if, if Auburn loses the national title game in 2010, does that mean that Cam Newton isn't one of the greatest players to ever live? Like, of course not. That's a, that's a ridiculous way of looking at the sport. Uh, you know, and, and I think that I try to try to keep that with, you know, that perspective whenever I look at things. Only one team is going to win it all, right? Like, just because Georgia won it all this year doesn't mean that Caleb Williams wasn't incredible. Caleb Williams is probably never going to win a national championship. He's also one of the best quarterbacks that uh, that I've seen play college football in a very long time. So, uh, and, and by the way, you know, I, I was uh, down in the state of Texas at, at the time when some kid from uh, from East Texas named Patrick Mahomes was throwing for a bunch of yards at Texas Tech, and I was like, look at this kid. This kid looks pretty special and, you know, didn't win any rings, didn't win any conference championships. I think only played one bowl game during his time at Texas Tech. Like, you know what? The way that we judge individual players shouldn't just come down to rings. But what I will say uh, is, and I made this comparison as well on the College Football Survivor Show, is we have conversations about best ever and we have conversations about greatest, right? And, And so I think that one of the things is that greatest is narrative. Greatest is about how we look at these players, what these players accomplished. Um, you know, so for example, I think that there are quarterbacks who have thrown a football better than Tom Brady. But there's no question that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback to ever do it. He's accomplished more. He's had bigger moments than any quarterback in the history of, of football, right? So um, so that's kind of the way that I look at it. I, I think that. Stetson Bennett absolutely is in the history books. He belongs in the history books. There's only a handful of quarterbacks ever that have gone back-to-back national championships. It's very unusual. It's very rare. Uh, I think that it also helps his legacy a lot that this 2022 team was a team that was led by Stetson Bennett. Now, they had other great players too i'm not trying to pretend that they didn't brock bowers is going to be the uh, top five pick in the 2024 nfl draft and they had a great defense and all that sort of stuff but i i think that stetson was the linchpin on this team which is obviously a national championship team and one of the best teams in a while so i i do think that certainly you can compare him to the best players of of the era now again one thing that i always look at whenever i have these conversations too is like could Baker Mayfield have accomplished what Stetson Bennett did if he switched them? Like, of course he could have. 
Of course he could have. Of course he could have thrown to really good players and had a really good defense, right? And that's not a knock at Stetson, and it's not a knock at Baker Mayfield for not accomplishing these things, right? But I do think that when we're talking about the best players ever, that's something that you do have to take into account. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that Stetson Bennett could have carried Oklahoma to to 12-1 and one and one play away from winning the Rose Bowl and playing for a national championship with those Oklahoma teams. I don't necessarily think that's the case, right? And and I, I think that that's okay to have that con context but but you know when we're talking about uh, for example last last offseason we did uh, a series of Mount Rushmore's basically where we went through position groups and and picked like the top four at every position group and top four also overall personalities of the college football playoff I think that you have to have guaranteed Stetson Bennett on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks of the college football playoff era I think that you can have a conversation about Stetson Bennett as the only quarterback and the only player to go back to back with national championships on the overall top four Mount Rushmore of the playoff era. Like, I think that's a reasonable conversation to have. I'm not saying that I'd necessarily do it, but he's in that conversation. So, look, I, again, I, I want to separate the idea of being one of the greatest from one of the best. I, I think that those are two separate conversations. But I'll tell you what, like you said, I mean, there's a uh, there's a failed Republican Senate candidate who who obviously was probably the best player to ever play at Georgia, but I think I think uh, you know this this walk on from Blackshear probably goes down right at this moment as the greatest player to ever play at Georgia, even if he wasn't per se the best, or he's going to have a 15 year NFL career or any of those sorts of things. Yeah, that's and that's a big distinction: greatest versus best. Like I will watch prime Aaron I will take prime Aaron Rodgers every day of the week and twice on Sundays over Tom Brady in terms of throw ability to throw the football but you can't deny man, this episode sucks man I'm a Dolphins I've been a Dolphins fan since <laughs> I was like three I gotta talk I gotta praise Brady I gotta praise Georgia man, this episode sucks. I'm so glad you're on Jahan thank you so much like this is a great conversation but could we not have picked some better topics this is this is why uh, you you be a Chicago Bears and Chicago Bulls fan because you never have to oh. worry about that because we're never relevant enough for anybody yeah. to to make me say anything. Okay, okay. Now, right. now I have a question for you. What do you do with your All first? Right. Are you taking Fields and or I mean taking Fields, taking Bryce Young, trading Fields, yeah, keeping the pick and drafting Will Anderson or whoever whatever defensive player suits you, or just trading the pick and like just drafting around Justin Fields. Now yeah. that we so, now that we know your alliances, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I yet what I was gonna say was just yes, I agree with you. Let's move forward to this. I I'm very curious <laughs> to see what you what you're saying about this. So so uh, I did sweep by the way before Houston uh, and and by the way our sleeper agent Lovey Smith went and uh, and ruined the Texans. I was gonna say uh, yeah, you, you had an ally down there yes. in Houston. <laughs> I, I, I will say there was like a small part of me. Obviously, having the number one pick is is better than having the number two pick. But there was like a small part of me that was like, I am so afraid of having you, you know the photos of Luka Doncic wearing the Hawks hat before they made the trade that mm-hmm. everybody tweets out all the time. Yeah. I'm so terrified of having that with Bryce Young and then him going on to a Hall of Fame career. Like that, that sucks. I, I am so like in my head about that. Again, you'd rather be in this situation and, and, and you know, be able to trade this for a, for a boatload of picks. But I think the move has to be, right? Like there are two quarterbacks, maybe three depending on, how bad some teams decision-making is uh, that, that are going to potentially go in the top four of the draft, right? Like CJ Stroud and Bryce Young are basically 
stone cold locks to go and they should be yeah and they should be 100 percent. and there are so many teams right now looking for a quarterback that i think will certainly be willing to give up a lot and the reality is the chicago bears one have because of the long storied history of the chicago bears probably like the second best quarterback of all time on the roster right now and that's everything to do with the chicago bears because it's been a bad time it's been, yeah for, it's bad it's yeah. been a bad bad rex, time rex gross rex grossman is like the, the threshold at this point and, yeah, <laughs> love, love me love me some rex but yeah it, i love my gators but ooh. jay cutler who i don't even like and then like i don't know man it's like, okay he didn't like didn't jay cutler didn't like football Wait, what's that said so jay cutler yeah, didn't like whining, so it's fine <laughs> so, you're the so, so anyway you're the gm all that to say he's to the, yeah. the organization what are you doing yeah so I don't think that the Bears are a quarterback away, right? Like, they're not a quarterback away. They have a good quarterback who I think is going to be a an above-average starter, pretty much guaranteed. Obviously, we'll see if he can kind of continue to add to that and reach kind of this Pro Bowl level uh, like some people think he might be able to. But, like, I don't think you look and say, you know what would fix everything for us is if we had Bryce Young instead. Bryce Young is incredible. I think he's going to be, again, potentially a Hall of Fame-level quarterback. But, like, that's not fixing everything for the Bears. So, for me, either you, like, go the Texans into to swapping picks, uh, going one to two, and get that number 12 pick for your services. But I think that probably the the most logical pathway to me would actually be trading down to number four uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. Because the Colts obviously really in the market for a quarterback. They're kind of starting over. Uh, so you trade down to four, you still are basically guaranteed to get one of Will Anderson or uh, or, or uh, Jalen Carter, right? Because you'd imagine that the two quarterbacks and then one of those two go top three. So you get one of the defensive players that you really want. And then you probably are also getting two other first round picks for your troubles. So I, I think that's the move. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I will not be upset at all if they decide that they want to have Bryce Young on their roster. I, I think that taking one of those defensive players number one is a waste just from a value perspective yeah you you, you can get you can get a haul when you have two quarterbacks like this and you have the one overall pick you can get a haul for that that's that's franchise malpractice if you just take a defensive player at one definitely might just like pull the trigger on like we're taking the best player available so it's you never know i mean kevin warren is on is on board with the bears now but oh man now now kevin warren's gonna make us take cj stroud now isn't he because he's gonna (laughs) gonna pull in his big 10 ties no but i i think the move you have to trade down you have to get some picks you have to be able to to make something happen but it's a it's gonna be quite a time can i ask you can i ask you a quick follow-up i know this is not 100 college ball but what what would the only people that i have seen that have been very much like no don't trade fields there's a there seems to be a consensus between bears fans and like the super in-depth film people that you see on twitter who i love just you know they they really watch film and i I defer my like x's and o's knowledge to them because they're the ones putting in the work um but it seems to be the consensus between bears fans and the film and the film people that like you said fields is going fields is good enough to win you a super bowl if you can put the things around him kind of like how i feel about tua right if sure. he, he's good enough to win a super bowl if you can do everything around to get him i i'm on that boat so if that's the case what what is the what would be how do i phrase this okay two questions number one what is the asking price for the number one overall pick 
Let's right. say you keep you're keeping Fields. What's the asking price for the number one pick? Or what's the asking price for Fields? Mm. If you if they say we're going to take Bryce Young because of the upside, the two extra years of of team control in terms of a rookie contract, what do you what is the asking price for either of those trades? Because I feel yeah. like you guys are going to trade out. It's either yeah. going to be you're trading Fields and taking Bryce one, or you're trading the one pick to to load up. Yeah, and and I wouldn't be incredibly angry if they did that right like if they really feel like bryce young is that dude which i i think he is right mm-hmm. and, and they don't feel like necessarily fields is that kind of guy like you know I, th- I think that if you put yourself in the best position then that's good the, the one thing that i wouldn't want is a hey take bryce young and they compete in camp sort of thing like that's just yeah that's that just would be that me. would be it, it, it's just bad for everybody that's right? franchise so, malpractice <laughs> yeah and so i i think that i think the thing for me is that with the number one pick, like <laughs> it's kind of the mystery box argument, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a, uh, you know, there's, there's like the meme from family guy. That's like, do you want a boat or do you want the box? Well, it could be anything. It could be a boat. Right. <laughs> and and I think that there's that mindset when it comes to picks yeah. uh, as opposed to players. Right. I mean, I think that you, you see Roquan Smith, a fantastic football player traded for a second round pick, right? Like, yeah. And you're like, well, that's probably better than what I could have gotten with a top ten pick. I, but- I hate to, I hate to compare NFL players to cars because they're humans and they're not <laughs> yes. automobiles. Yeah, but it's very much that same thing of the value decreases once you drive it off the lot. Like Absolutely. once you take that player, yeah, they may be a top five pick, and the value of right. that pick, the value of a pick is always worth more the actual player. And Absolutely. it could be Peyton Manning in his prime. Like it could be right. the, one of the greatest of all times. The value of the pick is always going to supersede Absolutely. the value of the player, which sucks yeah. for the guy, players because they're worth. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so I, I, that's the way that I look at it. If if somebody wants to give you, because I, I feel like, I feel like the the threshold for trading that one pick is probably at least three picks in the top forty. I'd say something like that, right? Maybe, like maybe two first and a second. Something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's probably the threshold. Obviously, you see if you can get more than that. Uh, but but I, th- I think that that's probably about what you could get for the first pick. Um, you know, if there's a team that wants to give you that or more for fields, like that's a conversation worth having. I, I mm-hmm. don't know because here's the other part of it, too, is that when if you decide to do that, even if you take Bryce Young, who I think is awesome, you're in a position then where you are starting over again right like where where you're resetting the clock over again and and there's pluses and minuses to that of course but if you feel like justin fields has a chance to be really good you're probably not getting as good value for justin fields as you're getting for the number one pick yeah because then you you also get to the bears are going to start over do you think the bears are in a plan to start over given the new hire of gm and head of you know yeah president of the club and stuff I think that last year was the start over. I, okay. I think that last with, year was with going in with Fields as the quarterback. This yeah. is the start. We're going to see what we have. Because this was the first year of Ryan Poles, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that they're in a position right now where they feel like this is starting from ground zero. So, so for me, I don't think they have to reset a, a, a again, right? Like I think, th- mm-hmm. I think that you know they've got more picks in this draft than they've had in a little while, and obviously you assume that they're going to add more with that with this trade. So, I, I think ultimately. I think that you have to feel like you have that first piece in Justin Fields and, Mm -hmm. and they've got other really good players too, uh, you know, in different places on defense, especially, but um, you know, obviously I think that you are in a, 
talent accumulation mode right now. And, and certainly yeah. I think that we get to a point, um, you know, sometimes where we're like, well, having a quarterback on a rookie contract is such a huge deal and, you know, and having team control, all that sort of stuff. But also sometimes you just can't live like that. Right. Like sometimes, well, I mean, can't... Sam Presti's got no problem doing that in Oklahoma city, but <laughs> yeah, this and is you know the what NFL. And I don't know if that's going to, there are people, you, you know what? Patience. I don't spend my time doing watching, well, watching the thunder, thunder on Lee fast. Right. I love <laughs> I, me some Shea and I want I him to say, play in relevant basketball games. I'm <laughs> as a heat fan. I'm, I'm always, I'm in the trade machine thinking, what can I do to get Shea, man? Get him out of there, dude. <laughs> He's going to be great with Victor Wembanyama. Um, moving on. Um, Love your solution to fix the Bears. Honestly, I kind of just for the sake of chaos, I want to see them trade the pick and fields and just see what happens. Um, just for the sake of chaos, but um, moving on to back to the playoff kind of uh, TCU, you cover the program very closely. I know you're a Baylor guy, but you're you're basically a TCU correspondent by default, um, just because you're in the state. Um, does this do they have a chance to get back? And was like, was this too much too fast for them? Um, I mean, I think that, I I think that there's a reality that for a program like TCU, that making the college football playoff is like a once in a lifetime type situation and making a national championship game is a never in a lifetime type situation. Right. So like, I, I think that certainly this was a team that overachieved. I don't think there's any doubt about it. They, they don't have the sort of depth of talent that I think they hope to have in future years. But the thing is too, right? When you overachieve in year one, it helps set up the program long-term. We see right now, they have one of their best recruiting classes that they've ever had. It's a top 20 high school class. And then they've also added multiple transfers from high level programs, including Alabama, a former five-star offensive lineman, Tommy Brockermeyer is coming a former four-star top hundred receiver. Jojo Earl is coming. Who's actually from the Fort Worth area. So like, I think uh-huh. it just, yeah, I think it just puts you on a stage that you wouldn't have necessarily been on. I mean, if they go eight and four this past year, like that's nice. And maybe, maybe it allows you to have a more gradual rise. But I think that this changes the way that people look at TCU long-term. And I think that that's bigger for the program than anything else that could have happened. Cause the reality is right. Like some, I can't remember who made this point, but it's a really good point. Being worse than Georgia is not the worst crime in the world, right? Like, obviously, people are going to remember that 65-7 game. It's going to be a joke. It's going to be a meme. But also, TCU just played for a national championship, right? Like, Texas Christian University just played for a national championship. And so the benefits so outweigh the costs. You sound like my therapist, Shahan, when I talked to her about Florida football. It's okay. Don't worry. It's it's not a crime to be worse than Georgia. Uh, no, no, but I, I, I agree with you in that sentiment. I agree with you in that sentiment, and I wanted to ask you, do you think that this is – this isn't indicative of, like, the playoff as a whole, right? No, I, I don't think okay. so. I mean, the thing is, right – this is so much about matchups. Uh, I think that TCU would have been a better matchup against Ohio State because of the way their team is structured, but we're not built to handle some of the trench issues and tight end issues that Georgia posed at them, right? I, I think that TCU maybe would have had a better chance against Alabama um, just because of, again, some of the matchups, right? You see, Michigan beats Ohio State. Ohio State should have beaten Georgia. TCU beats Michigan. 
that that's just kind of how the sport works sometimes, right? And and there are going to be years and there are going to be situations where Georgia can't lose unless it's to one of one or two teams, right? That there's only one or two teams that are built to compete with what Georgia does. And we but, saw one of them be a field goal away from making the national exactly championship. Exactly right. Exactly right. So so look, I, I think that we get so bogged down in what happens at the end in the last moment that we remember of the season. But you know, the reality is, I think that especially when we get to this expanded playoff, it's going to be about the path. It's going to be about the fact that, hey, Tulane-USC would have been a playoff game, and Tulane would have upset USC and had an opportunity to play in the second round, and that's unbelievable. And it's going to be about the fact that, you know, for think about the NCAA tournament, right? There's there's only a handful of teams that maybe actually have the, a chance to win the thing, but for other teams, making the Elite Eight is unbelievable. That's that's an accomplishment that you hang banners for and making the Final Four and making the national title game or even making the Sweet 16, right? I, I think that it gives us more avenues to have success for different programs. And again, if you suffer from the crime of being worse than Georgia, that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that your season was a failure. Um, our final question to close off the episode there's been a lot of drama around the college football playoff. Um, it happens every time someone gets blown out in the playoff. Shahan, what does this matchup between Georgia and TCU kind of tell us about the playoff expanding? Does it need to expand? Um, there's a lot of arguments pro and for. And I just think that we have a timeless tradition in the college football playoff where someone gets blown out and we automatically just tear apart the format. So what is this most recent rendition of the college football playoff tell us about where we are headed. Well, I think that, like you said, we tend to have such short memories when it comes to remembering the playoff, remembering the games. I mean, think about it. One week ago, we were talking about, oh my gosh, this is the greatest playoff ever because we had TCU upsetting Michigan and we had Ohio State coming a field goal away from upsetting Georgia. And as the ball dropped on the new year, (laughs) as the ball dropped on the new year, if you're in Eastern time. And so it's a, you know, it's, it's, I think that we have to take a larger view of this, right? We have to view it as one. I think one of the most important things with this expanded playoff is it will create access and involvement with all five of the major leagues and also the group of five, right? I think that that is a fundamental shift in the way that we look at college football and how we'll cover college football and how we'll broadcast and watch college football. You know, the the fact that ultimately, uh, you know, the, the Pac-12 is going to put a team from the West Coast into the playoff. That's regional representation that we didn't get before. The Big Ten is going to have a team every single year. The ACC, the Atlantic Coast is going to be represented. The the, the state of Texas and, and that Big 12 sort of conference is going to be represented. And I think that that's a great situation long-term for college football, that we will have 30 teams heading into November with a chance to make the field. And I think that that changes the way that we talk about college football. And, um, you know, from a results perspective, look, the reality is look at the history of the playoff. How many times would the team that won the playoff have been different if we had a BCS national championship game versus if we had even an AP poll uh, decide the national championship, right? A lot of the times it would have been the same teams, but that isn't the point it's not just about the end result it's about the process of getting there and so i think that 
look, we're going to have opportunities for teams to that have never competed on the national stage to win playoff games and get into the second round and host games. And, and I think that's going to be good for college football, even if those teams aren't the teams that ultimately win the national championship. So I, I think that heading into a 12-team world, the sport is in a great place. Uh, the, the thing that I'll say too is that Look, obviously, Georgia ended up being just better than everybody else. And I think that maybe heading into the future, just from a talent perspective, we might be in a position where there are three teams that nobody can touch, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State from a talent perspective. We might be in that world. But I don't think that the right way to approach college football is to say, well, the top three is the top three and we should ignore everything else, right? I think that when you look at spots four through 25 this year this was as balanced a year as we've had in a very long time in college football we had tcu beat michigan we had tulane beat usc we've had opportunities for some of these teams to have huge performances we had tennessee beat clemson clemson just won two national championships a couple years ago and so i I think the sport is in a really good place i I think that the 12 team playoff is only going to help and uh, i'm very excited for it to finally get here in 2024 yeah i I wholeheartedly agree with you and i think that Two things I want to say. Number one, I am begging hands and knees. I am pleading with everyone who watches college sports and college football to realize that the national championship is only one fabric of this incredible college football quilt that we have. We have there's so many things that we that make college football what it is, and the national championship is five percent of it, if that. I think that what they're doing is, and to your point of, if you look at teams four through 30 this season, you had two conferences that were dead to rights, narrative-wise, narrative, narrative wise, six months ago in the Big 12 and the Pac-12 that both had arguably their best seasons in a decade. You have the Pac-12 where you had legitimately, legitimately five teams that were I don't know who's the best team in this conference like literally like incredible and if that was to happen in the SEC we would have been oh my gosh the SEC is insane incredible the big 12 we had maybe three or four teams most of them apart from Texas not going to be the teams um, that are leaving for the SEC like you had these teams kind of step up and fill that void and the fact that TCU is the only big 12 team to have won a playoff game speaks volumes especially when Texas and Oklahoma are the ones that are going to be leaving the conference in a, in a couple of years. So I think that all of these things matter. College football is more than just, oh, who's the national champion? If that was the case, we would just be the NFL, right? No one cares about every, everything in the NFL is geared towards the Super Bowl. And that's fine because it's a professional sports league. That's how it should be. But in college, there's so many different parts, so many moving factors, history to deal with, rivalries to deal with, um, recruiting stuff. There's so many different aspects that make it what it is that I'm begging people to not just focus on that one thing. Now, with that being said, I think that the national championship with a 12-team expansion is going to be in a better place than it is now because that is going to be the platform that people use to highlight the other aspects of college football. When you guarantee a conference champion is going to make the playoff, uh, the top six, that fight for that five, that fifth or sixth best conference, whether it be the American in the group of five, whether it be the Pac-12, the Big 12, whatever, that conference race of, oh my gosh, we could get a four, you know, this team, you know, only lost three games, but the way they lost, oh my God, they make a run, they win that conference, which is a goal in and of itself. And then you're rewarded by being put in the playoff. I think that's a fantastic incentive. 
going to incentivize people to matter about their conferences. It's going to incentivize people to matter about the schedule that they put together rather than just thinking, oh, we can cakewalk there. And I will argue there is always a fourth team, right? Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. We just talked about those three. I call them semi-professional teams because of the talent that they have. It's insanity. But there's always a fourth. There's always going to be that team. We've always had blowouts in the playoff. Like, there's always going to be like, oh, yeah, but teams 10, 11, 12 don't belong. Well, I mean, in a system, they probably wouldn't have belonged in the fourth, 14 playoff either, you know? All of these things that that, that matter but don't matter, um, I, I think we're just going to be put in a better way, in a better perspective. And I think that it's going to be able to grow the game overall holistically. So I don't think that this this demolishing of Georgia of TCU means that, oh, we can't have a 12-team playoffs. We're just going to have games like this because, frankly, we've always had these games in the 14 in the four-team system, and it's just going to be a lot more fun and a lot more engaging to more fan bases later on in the season, and it's going to place that emphasis on those conference races, which I think is something that's kind of been lost because look at the SEC. It's like, okay, yeah, the SEC championship game, great, wonderful. Both of these teams are going to make the playoff anyway. Does it really matter? Well, yeah, because as a Florida fan, I want to win the SEC regardless of a playoff, I just want to win the conference, you know, like you want to be able to win a championship. And now when you can say, okay, maybe this one team, um, you know, won't be able to make it as an at large, but if they win that conference game, they're playing this Saturday, they get that upset. They're going to be able to, to make it into the playoff. That's a big deal. That's a, that's more eyes and better storytelling that I think. And, and something, this isn't pro wrestling where things are scripted. This is real life sports. And, and I feel like when you can get those stories, I, I'm confused as to why we're so um, allergic to having a Cinderella run in college football, but we love it so much in college basketball. You know what I mean? Why can't we have that same love yeah. in college football? Like TCU this year, that was as close to a Cinderella story as we have ever gotten in college football, at least in the playoff era. And I would love to see more TCUs come up with a 12 team system. I would love to see a two lane, get a shot. They would be playing in a, you know, they would be playing another game and the, they would get the sports center profiles. They would get the game day profiles. It's good for the sport as a whole. So as a G5 proponent, as a 12 team playoff proponent, I'm so glad to hear that you agree, Sean, because yeah, well, and, and I, I, I feel last... like I've been preaching to the air within on this and multiple <laughs> podcasts. Well, and, and, and one quick thing on that too, right? I think that something that we don't understand as well is the power of those top three elite teams losing games oh, because yeah. for example uh, i'm not gonna sit here and try to do the reseeding because i don't want to figure that out right now but like alabama was the five seed this year so five seed they would have played 12 two lane okay let's say they beat two lane which by the way two lane just beat usc like it's not like they can't hang second round they'd get ohio state third round they'd get georgia national championship game they'd get tcu like, they'd have to win all of those games in a row. And I don't care how good you are. That's a lot to ask. That's a lot to ask. Whereas, you know, in, in a situation like uh, like the BCS or the playoff, you kind of have to win one or two, right? Like, it's a, it's a different world when you have to beat four teams back to back to back to back for anybody. It doesn't matter, again, if you are one of these super elite teams. Maybe Georgia still does it, but there's no way that you can look at that and say they didn't have to earn their way there. It is going to be as difficult, I think, to win a national championship as ever before. And uh, and again, I think that we will. It might not be the first couple of years, but I do think that we will have years where we have very unusual teams playing for the national championship because teams will have just had a bad break or a bad kick or something along the way. That, that and you know what? Up. That's college football. And that's what that's I love. It. I football. want the game to yeah. be decided on the field and not in a boardroom yeah. in a hotel in Dallas with the selection committee. 
It's a nice hotel. That's a great. That's the point. That's a nice I was, hotel. That's Oh, recommendation from Shahan for stays in Dallas. <laughs> um, um, that was the point I was going to make, though. It kind of the twelve team playoff takes away the human element that we all kind of frown upon, and people who don't really follow the sport from an outside well, there, perspective. There, that'll good friend Lucas. Search, that'll though. still be there in terms of selecting the at large bids. It, it should hopefully be easier after they have played a like after after everything's said and done, it'll be easier to rank them. I think the part that a lot of people disagree with is the rankings um, in terms of because we know they're not watching all the games. They've kind of admitted that they don't stay up to watch the West Coast games. And so I think the 12 team playoff not only it limits the human element of selecting. Um, it also, like Shahan mentioned, Georgia kind of slept walk through that Ohio State game until like the very end when they put it on in the fourth quarter. They're not going to be able to like straight unless the team's that good. I mean, by all means, but it's going to be really hard for a team to sleepwalk through three or four games to win, to make it to the natty. Like it's not going to be like, OK, we, we skated by Ohio State. It was fine. And then we play Tulane, who's like really hungry and they're like vying for school history like that's going to be mean everything to Tulane like you're not going to be able to just sleepwalk through the playoff and I think it adds an extra element of competition um it's more fair I guess and life isn't really fair in a lot of times but it'll be the most fair that the sport has ever been because we've had champions um shout out UCF Alexa's alma mater they claim themselves as champions and we'll never get to know if they were actual champions like they didn't hear about it twice a week so Thanks for bringing it up. I'm just saying, well, but like I mean, one, you're one of uh, your two alma maters has won a national championship in the last 10 years. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I would talk about it too. Go Gators. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she, she's wearing the college football success. Yes, pants yes. In, that in, relationship. This, in this house, uh, she's the college football expert. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. Borba. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. 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 Um, but yeah, I think the 12 team playoff kind of eliminates the, the broad, like, ugh, this playoff sucks because this team's getting blown out. Like, that's always happened. Oklahoma, I don't think ever outside of the Georgia game, I think they lost by double digits every time they're in the playoff. And that Georgia game, honestly, they gave that game away. They should have won, sure. Notre Dame, I don't think, has come close to winning a playoff game, and they've been there a few times. And so I think it's really all about more advancing the sport. And it's just nice to see, see the FBS catch up to the FCS, who's had the playoffs since like the 90s. Really cool. Um, shout out to the FBS for finally getting on par. Um, this has been a great episode of the Tailgaters podcast. We appreciate Shahan for joining us. Make sure to check him out on Twitter. Yeah, Shahan, where, where can um, the people find media. you? Yeah, you can find all my Let work at cbssports.com. Make sure and follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. I tweet out, of course, all my articles and podcasts that I do. And make sure and check out my podcast, The College Football Survivor Show. Actually, I, I jumped on this podcast right after finishing the other podcast right before. And uh, we talked today on our premium episode on Apple Podcasts about who we think could be our top four heading into 2023. We like to get after it early. And uh, and I'll tell you what, Ooh. we got some Oregon State talking. So uh, make sure and check that out. My Beavers. Big proponent. My Beavers. Big proponent of Oregon State. They were quarterback away. Quarterback I'm just saying. Away. I mean, as someone who's as someone who lives in the proper time zone, they're a quarterback away. Or, we all Corbin know can it. tell you how um, much make, I love my Oregon State Beavers. Big fan. A <laughs> lot of Smith A lot of here. love for don't even know where Corvallis is on the map, but I know it's in Oregon. That's all that matters. But I know where you can find the Tailgaters podcast, which is on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to like, subscribe, and do all that. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you, Shayhan, for joining us. And have a great weekend.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.